Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 167, Middlemarch, book one. Today is part one of our quarantine read of George Eliot's long, intimidating, classic novel from the 19th century, Middlemarch. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Guys, I, I want to just do something real quick as we start the show. Oh, I want to I, I drop my copy of my book on my desk here so listeners can hear what it sounds like when you drop 900 pages of turgid prose. You guys ready? Here we go. Whoa, that actually shook the whole camera that we... There we <laughs> go. Whole... There we go. That's 900 pages dropped on my desk. Nice. Uh, Remember when yeah, you agreed my, my to edition... it and uh, Ryder said I it was 400? <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I fucking agreed to this. There's no way I did. agreed to this. This is what I get for not listening to the episodes. I don't think I agreed to this. <laughs> uh, we might have... Yeah, we definitely agreed. We... we we, we put uh, to our listeners for some suggestions. Middlemarch came up a couple times, but then it was ultimately Julia pushing this one through because- I love it. Julia, yeah. you read this when we were in grad school. you always loved it. You and I agreed to both read it the same semester and I totally let you down. Yes, I back forgot then, about that. And you read it and loved it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed going into my audition, I made it exactly 20 pages into <laughs> it back then because I could see all my notes yeah. uh, and they stopped after page 20. Um, so today we have made it up to page 120, book one, which uh, I didn't realize this book w- was actually published serially. Yeah. So this was how it was published. Every two months, uh, one of these books would come out. So it was published in eight books. Uh, this first one, 120 some pages. Um, Julia, you we, we know you love it. Todd, how you feeling? So... Have any of you ever had a stuffed up nose for like 13 years? <laughs> no. Have you? No. Oh. That's no. That's like some serious allergies. Have any of you ever walked a thousand miles dragging one foot and that one foot is encased in cement and there's a jackal sitting on it? I have done that. And the that. jackal is attacking you. Good Lord, people. Good lord. Look, it's not that the book is bad. It's that it's impenetrably bad. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, so here's my question. What is seriously like the difference between this and 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 Pride and Prejudice or what which one did we read? Um Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. So cuz you loved that and I remember you I did. you became like an Austin completist. I read that. all of Jane Austen. Um so Austin is a much lighter writer, for sure. And her omniscient narrator um, is not so overbearing as to think that we cannot understand every single line of dialogue and therefore need to have every single line of dialogue explained back to us. Oh, and then boy, the here motiv- we go. And then the motivations for every single line of dialogue. I So I I read by myself, with no help, the first 60 pages. It took me a very long time. And then I started thinking, there's got to be a better way. 
There's got to be... There's got to be a better way to read? There's got to be a better way where I don't have to just read through 100,000 pages of George Eliot explaining the the motivation for every single line of dialogue and action. Like, I'm not a fucking moron. I can understand why someone does things. And that's when I discovered for free on Spotify the abridged audiobook. This is you can't. This is cheating. <laughs> what? We haven't even you, set up you what can't the book's do this. about, and you're cheating. You made it sixty pages in, and then you've been listening to an abridged version. I'm not saying I've listened. Oh to my the god! Entire book. You are cheating our listeners. I'm just saying I got. I was able to get through the 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 next sixty pages in four minutes. Okay. We're gonna. Oh my god! Book. Our listeners are going to storm your gated community <laughs> with pitchforks. We have made them. You know, if you're reading along at home, do you know how pissed you will? Look, hey, these people look. When you're in the middle of a vast global pandemic and you're like, am I going to make it through the next week, the next month? Do you want to be like, what did you do in your last month? Oh, I tried to get through fucking poor Dorothea's turgid ass prose. All right, hang on. Or... Stop, 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 stop. As Ryder and I discussed off air, we've been spending a lot of time with our children and our fuses are short. I refuse. I refuse to let your fake frat boy anti-intellectualism <laughs> drive the conversation yes. around this Thank you. fucking masterpiece. Look, Stop. I've gone back and, and looked at many of the other passages that I missed. Okay. <laughs> Looking at a passage is a complete trash. And you know, we need to back up. We need to set up the novel as usual. And I am yes. not doing this for eight episodes because we oh, just can... finished another hundred pages. Two minutes. <laughs> we, there's no, a lot to talk about, even if you don't love it. But you cannot start. <laughs> we are six minutes and six seconds in, and you are already Let me just ask cheating. You this. Can't, can't I go half and half? Like, no. For every 50 no. pages I read, no. I can listen to the abridged audiobook for 50 pages? No. You are so the guy doing cliff notes and showing up for the test. Like, ugh. And getting fucking A's. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. No, you have to read this. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll look into and it. Let's, All right. Let's set up the yeah. book. Let's talk about the book. Okay. <laughs> Boom. So, uh, another 100 pages done. George Eliot, <laughs> whose real name was Mary Ann Evans Cross. The, the book Middlemarch was published between December 1871 and December 1872, so over the course of a year. Um, and, then, uh, and then it takes place 40 years earlier, uh, interestingly. So it's set in, the eight, in 1829, 1830. Uh, where is that? I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's a story of life in the town of Middlemarch, a fictional town. Uh, in England, and uh, Dorothea is our main protagonist so far. I actually know nothing. I haven't read any summaries or whatever, so I'm just good. putting this That's together good. based on the 100 pages. So, so far, our, our, our main plot lines have been Dorothea getting married yes. and deciding to marry an Kazabon. older man as opposed to the younger man that everyone sort of expected slash wanted Local her to marry. Oh, right. Dodo. Whose name is, how do you pronounce it, do you think? Cheatham? I think Chetham. Chetham? Uh, Chetham. Okay. Yeah. So Chetham uh, was the guy that everyone sort of expected her, and he was he was pretty, he was, he was holding out hope for Dorothea, because yeah. she is beautiful, despite her plain dress. 
And um, and he seems and like then, a nice dude. Like he's, he does. He seems like a like a good Colin Firth character. Totally. Mm-hmm. And then there's a new storyline that sort of develops in the last twenty pages that we read that introduces another love story mm-hmm. between Rosamond or Rosie, Livy, mm-hmm. I believe is her name, Lydgate. and and Lydgate, the curly haired artist. Also a good. Uh, Colin Firth character. Okay. You know what, Todd? <laughs> let me just stop you right here. You have listened to an abridged audiobook, so we're gonna set some ground rules. I read rules. a great deal of this. Listen, a, a you great... can be the authority on how names are pronounced. That is allowed. You <laughs> cannot fit every character into Colin Firth, Alan Rickman, and Hugh Grant, as I know you're gonna do. So just Mr. stop Vincent's it right now. Mr. Vincent's made a wealthy match. <laughs> and hold, on, hold, hold on one moment. Who, however, as a man not born in the town and altogether of dimly known origin, was considered oh, to have done voice. well yeah, in uniting himself with a real Middlemarch family. Yeah. On the other. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bridge. It sounded like Judy Dench. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Same accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we have our two main um, love stories. Uh, Ryder. Yeah, those are the two main stories, it seems like. Yeah, and then there's some side stories coming up um, with... Involving money and debts and other potential romances. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's some political stuff that has gone way over my head. Yeah. Right. Because I know nothing about, like, the wigs and whatnot. But it also seemed, it only occupied a couple pages, so I'm hoping it doesn't occupy too much more. I'm much more interested in just the romance. So, stuff. yeah, but, um, in general. See, but Go ahead, Tom. Are you really interested in the romance? Like, do you yes. really care about what happens to Dorothea? Yes. Surprisingly, I do. Like, I, 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 this is why I'm surprised you don't don't like it because you like Jane Austen, and for me, this is like, this is much like, I feel like the first five pages dispensed of an entire Jane Austen novel. Yes, and like, it did. Yes, and it I was did. like, great. Okay, so we're gonna get into it more than Jane. Like, you know, the whole like marriage plot, which occupies an entire three hundred pages in Jane Austen. That's what drove me crazy. It's like if we're just gonna be rooting for somebody to get married, and that's like the be all. And you know, I'm, people can go back and listen to my complaints about Jane Austen. Whereas this seems to be interested in something much, much you know, more, I guess, metaphysical or yes. philosophical. This this question of, like, Dorothea's, like, approach to life right. and her, right. her, her opinion, husband. And, ideas. and I'm, like, genuinely curious if she's, I mean, I feel like she's set herself up for massive failure. She's marrying some 50-year-old guy. Like, I am so much more interested in that than, you know, whether so-and-so ends up with Mr. Darcy in a Jane Austen. Like, so, yeah, like, I'm totally on board because it's going to be, like, Dorothea seems like an idiot to me. Uh, a very very smart idiot and I love smart dumb characters like that's one of my favorite things in literature like when somebody is like thinks they're really really smart but they're actually doing really stupid things like that's the best because you're sitting there going don't do it Dorothea does sort of have an Emma like countenance to her Um, and it's not the I mean look to be fair it's not the uh, story or the characters that are bothering me it's the writing okay stop (laughs) my turn (laughs) okay all right, so we, we can get into the writing in a minute, but I, I think rather than coming at it like it's hard or we don't like it or whatever, I think we should back up and talk about what Middlemarch is about, and this will become more interesting as we go through, but clearly what Middlemarch is about um, is 
people getting what they want or getting what they think they want and seeing how that unfolds over time. And, you know, it takes the narrator. This is why we're going to go to the mat for eight weeks, Todd. Like The narrator in the and the writing is why people do love Middlemarch, because it takes such time and care to run emotions through an analytical yet super generous framework. So there's moments where you meet characters that in Dickens or in Austin would be like a really well-written joke, but George Eliot, I'm sure you find this insufferable, she'll be like, now don't judge. This is how this person sees the whole world. And of course she sees it this way. Of course the town gossip, you know, moves on to the next matchmaking in her mind um, because that's her entire life and her entire framework. Um, and when you take these big characters like Dorothea or even Casabon, and I think you probably don't like this, Todd, because you're closer in age to the dried up old scholar than How sexy. Dare you. <laughs> Damn. Um, Damn. Wow. wow. Shots fired. That's why it's good. That This is why it's good. You know what I mean? Um, so, I, I mean, I had some uh, passages that I dog-eared or made a some notes in um, where she just does this to a degree that is so intense um, that it's amazing. And we're only an eighth of a way through it. She's already delivered like a full analysis of like 20 people's worldviews. Um, like that's so easy. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So it- my favorite thing that has happened so far is that <laughs> Julia just used a 19th century novel to OK Boomer talk. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> you had to reach back a couple hundred years to make him feel old. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Come on. Am I wrong, awesome. Ryder? Am I wrong? No, no. No. I I'm I am so on board with everything you just said. Yeah. Y'all. I, I I am really liking this book. To, you know, uh it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. And I hear I hear Todd's complaints like loud and clear. But it does get easier. Yes. I don't know if you felt this way. Like yes. definitely. Yeah. When I mean, it's like reading Shakespeare. Abridged. I mean, every time I, re- I open Shakespeare after like a couple years away, it's always like, oh my God. Yeah. And then within like five pages, you're like, oh yeah. No, no, no. I get you're this. You're like learning sure. to swim. So, like, I remember the word anon. Right. You know, whatever. And like in this book, this is just, it's just realizing you can't read fast you know and we talked yeah. about this with austin too it's like it's every 19th century but you just you but, can't read fast and that's but really see here's good. the thing here's the thing is uh, omniscient point of view in general makes me crazy and mm, i love it and, and now this is a this is of course the er text of the omniscient point of view um and it's technically not omniscient did you well no because you read the abridged version no, about uh, she at, starts at, like, referring to herself in, we get an i and yeah. a we yeah, it's, it's weird. Really interesting. Weird. The narrator does identify herself. I'm assuming as as you know as a singular identity. Yeah, but that's um, that's still omniscient. I mean, it's yeah. it's limited authorial omniscience. Sure. Um, I was just surprised to find an I like yeah. really late in the game. Yeah, I was like, it, what? It, it happens on like page. I read that part. That was on page like yeah. 72 or something. But yeah, it was bizarre. It's it it's the sort of lack of trust of the reader. Now, before historians attack me because literary disco is filled with historians i understand (laughs) that the reason i feel this way is because i have a history of reading literature 
and that when George Eliot was writing these books, no women were writing books like this. No one was writing books like this. So therefore, the well of knowledge about what a reader understood about literature was not the well that I have. I get that. I get that. So that being said. Ridiculous way to make your point. That you're smarter than all of George Eliot's readers? No, that the (laughs) expectations of what we get from a book and what we need from a book quite obviously change over time. I don't need 500 words explaining why Rosamond and Mary talked faster than their male friends. I, I got it. Like, I understand that. But it's like, it's like... Plainness has its peculiar temptations, and vice is quite all the... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ, man. I get it. I get it. I get it. So right. I, I I just want... like Her her erudition is amazing, and her ability to convey these characters and their, their lives is profound. But what's also profound is that her ability to convey them through simple and concise description and dialogue is already there. And so you can jump to the end of a paragraph and, and know as much about these people as you did as a close reader from hearing the things that they but say. That's, okay, so it's funny. Well, the, the scene you're referring to is the last scene um, in the book. So I also picked out some <laughs> paragraph from this section as an incredible example of her analyzing something to a degree that you find annoying. And I'm like, wow, this is so like 20 layers deep in that yeah. in a way that a lesser writer would just be like yeah and then they fell in love so uh there's this scene right. where she and lydgate so she has to go get her riding crop because she's gotta go and he gets right. to her riding <laughs> crop first okay everybody so um they he got her riding crop and he handed it to her this is classic 19th century stuff they blush and then we have this. There's a ba- so, someone bows. There's some bowing, <laughs> yeah. as I recall. Okay. <laughs> so all of that we could do, and it could be like in Austin, that would be the end. That would literally be the end of the chapter. And then we get this extra. Yet this result, which she took to be a mutual impression called falling in love, was just what Rosamond had contemplated beforehand. Ever since that important new arrival in Middlemarch, she had woven a little future of which something like this scene was the necessary beginning. Strangers, where whether wrecked and clinging to a raft or duly escorted and accompanied by portmanteaus... Oh, sorry, have always had a circumstantial fashion for the virgin mind against which native merit have urged itself in vain. And a stranger was absolutely necessary to Rosamond's social romance, which had always turned on a lover or bridegroom who was not a middle marcher and who had no connection at all like her own. Of late, indeed, the construction seemed to demand that he should somehow be related to a baronet. Now that she and the stranger had met, reality proved much more moving than anticipation, and Rosamond could not doubt that this was the great epoch of her life. She judged of her own symptoms as those of awakening love, and she held it still more natural that Mr. Lydgate should have fallen in love at first sight of her. These things so happened happened so often at balls, and why not by the morning light when the complexion showed all the better for it? 
That's yes. so good. That's Come like one on. of my favorite passages. Yeah. When, when I hit that line where she's like, she wove herself a future, I was like, what? Yes. yes. This is so good. And that's yeah, like. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I don't feel like there's any other way to describe that. I mean, that is getting granular. Yeah. It's like so detailed. It's like the, the you know, because it's one thing to just say, oh, she felt, she felt like she was falling in love like she always hoped to. And it's yeah, another okay. to like detail it that much and be like, you have these hopes, you have these expectations, you have these criteria, and then like the reality fitting with like. All right, Todd's putting up his but, hand. Listeners can't but, see. Um, so that it's a it, that is a wonderful bit, and then it goes on. Rosamond, though no older than Mary, was rather used to being fallen in love with, but she, for her part, had remained indifferent and fastidiously critical towards both fresh sprig and faded bachelor. And here was Mr. It's it, like, okay, it just keeps, yeah. it's like, let me, let me get you a nail. Let me hit it as hard as I possibly can with beauty. And then let me um, cloak it in the mundane. Oh, let me write that one down. Hold on. Yeah, I was gonna say, see, you, you keep, in your protestations of this book, you keep coming up with amazing analogies. Yeah. On Twitter, you texted us one about the Mekong Delta. So I feel like you're actually inspired a little yeah, bit. I agree. To, to, to a little bit of wordsmithery that is uh, unlike you. God, I, I, I agree. I think, I think you are very, like, of, of, of most people, of more than anybody I know you are very much in the like 20th 21st century pro style you believe that it is the best and kind that of the correct. only way to write that and, is correct and, and 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 you know this is partly your job i mean you teach writing that is correct. and a lot of times you spend you your job is um like stopping purple prose as quickly as possible. Like Correct. that is like most Correct. of what you do is like people come to you overriding things and you have to say, stop it. Just right. say, what. but I, and I think that, 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 that sort of preconditioned you to, to reject a book that's this flowery and mm. this involved. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I, I do think that, that were this done by, a lesser mind than George Eliot, I it would be awful. And I feel like it was all the time. Like, I feel like most 19th century books probably were bad versions of this, but this is really good. Like, it's it's it, it's good because it's true. Like, yeah. the, yes, com- the complexity yes, yes, of, yes. of thought, like, the complexity that, like, Dorothea brings to the page is really, it's kind of mind-boggling. Like, I was like, I totally get this person, even though, like, I've never been religious in my life, like, I, but I, her, like, sense of, like, martyrdom and, like, intellectual desire and, like, I just find it so fascinating. And yet she's also kind of aware of how, like, superficial she's being at times about this future husband. It's, like, it's just, I don't know, like, I, I, like, I already, you know, feel really into this person's journey and she hasn't really done anything besides agree to a mar- to marry somebody. And the reason it, it feels relevant, too, is that, I mean, the way that she's described, I wish they had the quote at my fingertips, but it's like she's passionate. They use the word ardent a lot. They George Eliot uses the word ardent a lot, which is a word I'm like, oh, we need to use that word more because it's the perfect word. Um, but she's described as someone who's ardent and passionate, but just kind of happened to apply it to being super religious. And right. that is so it is so fascinating and it makes it relevant across time. You know, like it does make you start to think about people, you know, who are super involved or aggressively into stuff or see themselves as martyrs and think of them applying their 
youthful excitement or their intellectualism to whatever their circumstances have to be historically or otherwise. And yeah, it's such a cool character to focus on because <laughs> it's not going to go great for her. You know, we know no. that. Yeah, I have I mean, a bad feeling. I mean, that, that, so that is the that is the one thing that, well, there's several things that I admire. Um, first, I'm going to start saying to both of you, oh, fudge, don't lecture me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the deafness of the setup, like, every, like, there's no way this cannot collapse in complete and utter woe right. for every single person involved. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm sort of fascinated by that, um, and of course you can't write sobbed bitterly that often without it coming back to get you. <laughs> you know, people sobbing bitterly is it's not a it's not a happy novel. Um, well, here's here's an interesting point though. Like you love Dickens, don't you? Todd? I do. I can't stand Dickens. So it's 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 super fascinating to me. Like because like Dickens to me is 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 plot and like overwritten um and and like to me like it didn't like you know dickens names characters literally their moral like (laughs) internal states like you know it's like mr bumble and mr evil it's like it's so (laughs) to me that is like the most heavy-handed even though it's it's defter plotting and like often you know I i feel like his he had more good stories that you would tell around a campfire or whatever than this like not much is happening here this is is yeah, like this not is, much is happening. So what? <laughs> I mean, right? What? And so it's it's like it's it's you know it's like the movie Roma. You know, it's like it's it's in making you work a little harder to get into it. But it's like because so not much, much has to happen in order for there to be things there was happening. So much more dog shit in Roma <laughs> than than Middle Barge. I mean, if li- listeners, if you get nothing else from this, know that Roma's amount of dog shit compared to Middle Marches. Way off the charts. I mean, um, Middlemarch is about the mind. That's what the book yes. is about. For people who oh. are confused or d- deciding what to do and like whether or not to read it along with us or oh, no, they have to read along. I, I, I'm reading along. Um, also, I should note, and maybe our listeners are experiencing this, I'm having a little bit of a hard time concentrating. <laughs> We all are. <laughs> well, let's talk about this. I would love to, you know, move to this subject really quickly. You know, what books do you want to read in a time of crisis? That, to me, this is exactly what I want to read. I also love Dickens. Um, and I have at other, like, hard times been like, I'm going to, re- this is it. I'm going to read Bleak House or whatever. Because I want to, like, right. be completely subsumed in another world and not only another world like another tone of life right you know but 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 yours but but you're not seeking well i guess it is a form of escapism but it's it's not like plot escapism right like you're you're wanting to sort of slow down moments and like indulge in in a in a fantasy that is detailed and richly drawn not in like a bunch of crazy things happening and that could never happen in real life. Cause I feel like those are the two impulses, right? Like right. people either want to watch like, you know, giant, you know, disaster movies or something like, to- oh, that's not a well, good call actually, but like things that are super escapist Tiger King. or they Tiger want King. To- 
Yeah, Tiger King. Yeah, Tiger King. Exactly. <laughs> well, but see, that's not escapist, though, because that's, that's just real. the state of our country. Right. <laughs> that's real. Like, that's who we nominated president. Right. Like, that's... that's... So, for me, um, <laughs> I, I like to, when I'm, like, right now, I'm actually reviewing a book for USA Today right now that's a, a crime novel, and uh, which is quite good. I won't say the title of it, because this will probably come out before the review does, but... Um, I like to read crime fiction during weird times like this for the very simple reason that crime fiction has had these waves of popularity at different times where it's really spiked, noir fiction in particular, because I like to, in times when I feel like the world is out of control, to read a thing where there is a person who walks into chaos and solves it. Yeah. And I, I find that... I find that um, emotionally edifying if it's really good you know for the escapist part of it like sure it's fun to see someone go you know it also bl- occupies your brain in a procedural way right yeah. it's like get yeah. the clue get the thing sure. like the the question of justice or what is right or wrong is not not necessarily a big part of it right but it's it, it's the it's the quelling chaos like i like that like some yeah. some for like a stranger comes into town and fixes what's wrong so like in the 1930s during um, the Depression, you saw the, the sort of rise of the anti-hero in noir fiction um, because the anti-hero would come in and fix the world. Oh, there's a there's a little girl Speaking on Speaking of show. an anti-hero coming here's in to an fix anti-hero. the world, here comes Vega. My daughter cannot Listeners. be kept out of the office anymore. Vega, do you want to sit in my lap? We're talking about crime fiction. Listeners, we have a special guest. We had one in our last episode as well. We have one in this episode. It's it's Vega, anti-hero. Um, so anyway, so I um I like to I like to go to crime fiction, and then I'm also trying to write crime fiction at the same time, or else I'm gonna have to give the money back. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, maybe my mind isn't in the right place to absorb the minutia of someone's romantic life right now. But it's not just their romantic life; it's the way that they see the world, and this is why it's so. You're not saying this and you're not like this, Todd, but when people dismiss these books that have romance in them as like women's literature or Uh women's fiction, you know, it really removes this perspective that we need to keep, which is for women at this time period, like that was their whole entire future. Who you decide to marry when you're 19 is a worldview you're choosing or that is chosen for you. So and yeah, that that opening the opening twenty pages that Ryder mentioned earlier as being like a, a full Jane Austen novel. It's so true because they start talking about, well, X person is worth this much a month mm-hmm, and has this mm-hmm. much land. Yes. You know the the you know it'd be worth thirty seven hundred dollars, and you're like, right. So this was a this was a financial arrangement, and the whole thing about Ch- uh, Cheatham or Chester, whatever the fuck his name is, is that also makes him attractive is that they could join their land together. Right. They, yeah, they happen yeah. to be next to each they, other. Yeah, they happen to be neighbors, so therefore they could, you know, they'd have more grazing yeah. land or whatever. So there's all this sort of arcane, um, you know, agricultural business that goes along with the matters of the heart. Um, I, the thing that I did quite enjoy, though, was uh, Dorothea's imagining what life would be like with this great intellectual, yes. where they would only talk about the things that matter. And all their conversations would be about the most important things in the world. Like, oh, Dorothea, you're going to be wiping his butt in about nine months. Because <laughs> yeah. he's 47. Yeah, he's 47. <laughs> Jesus. 
He's so old. Jesus. No, is he really only 47? I thought he was in his 50s. Uh, I, he, I think he's about 50. They do some weird math where it's like he's 20 and 9. Um, he's 7 and 20 years more than her. Yeah, That's seven, what they say. Right. 7 and 20 more. Like, or you could just say 27. <laughs> So she's it's 19. fascinating, though, to think. I mean, I just really love Dorothea as a character. I, I'm, you know, I just I'm fascinated by this person who, uh, I guess, thinks she's so much better. <laughs> you yeah. know, but then, uh, but she has she has such high uh, intellectual aspirations and no nowhere to put them, nothing to do with them, right? Like, so picking a mate becomes the best way for her to 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 feel intellectual or to feel like, uh, and and so she picks somebody who's just gonna so let her down like that is just obvious like this i'm so oh you're in wow Um, well it sounds like todd's in too i hope she has an affair i mean don't tell me but i I feel like i mean is it it's super interesting to me how many great books particularly from the 19th century are about unhappy women yes who cheat Anna, Karen- Anna Karenina, you have uh, well, Madame Bovary. Let me, uh, let me have... get to the end of the book. We'll find out. Hold on one no, sec. No, no, don't. Wrong don't put Judy Dench on here. Then that no. her husband should be in the thick I'm taking on my headphones. I'm not listening. And that she listening. should be. <laughs> okay. This is disintegrating, and we have seven more episodes to go. So I think we're done here. <laughs> All right. We are done here. Vega, would you like to say hi to the listeners? Say hi. She's waving. Say hi out loud. Hi. Hi, Vega. Hi. Do you like books, Vega? Oh. Yeah. What books do you like? Gangster Land. Say gangster. <laughs> Land. Land. <laughs> there you go, Dad. <laughs> she said it. It's a she final, did. Finally, my, bl- my blurb is ready. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. And please let us know how your Middlemarch reading is going. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>